everyone, and welcome back. I am so happy to have you here with me to discuss yet another case. And if you are new, then welcome. Be sure to click subscribe. So today we have a mind-blowing case, a very frustrating case that definitely needs justice. So a few weeks ago, I was scrolling TikTok and I came across a TikTok about the Grant Solomon case by an account under the name Chronicles of Olivia Backup. And some of you may have seen this if you follow true crime content on TikTok. And there was something about it that drew me in immediately. First of all, I was just mind blown by the details of the case, but there was something about Grant that just captivated me. Grant had this very contagious energy about him, this very inviting smile. And I wanted to know more about what happened to him. So after I learned more, I was just blown away by the lack of justice here and the details surrounding this case. So I knew I had to reach out to their family and ask if they wanted to collaborate on a video here on my channel. And they did. And once we got in contact, I spent some time talking with Grant's mother, Angie, on the phone and hearing it all in her words just put it all into perspective for me about how much this family needs awareness, how many more people need to know Grant's story and Gracie's story and Angie's story too. I mean, this family has been through a lot of trauma and I just have to say right off the bat that Angie is such a strong person. She is still so upbeat and loving and warm to talk to. I felt like I had known her for a really long time after just talking to her for a brief period. And I really hope that you guys will take any necessary steps today that you can to help this family because they are in desperate need. We've talked a lot over the years about how to be an active true crime consumer and what that really means. Taking extra steps, whether that's making a donation, signing a petition, furthering awareness, bringing attention to the case to those who may be able to further the message. And we're gonna talk about how you guys can help this family directly today. And so today is a great opportunity to be an active true crime consumer. We're gonna be talking about Grant's case today in detail, and also talking about everything else that this family has been through, including the abuse that his sister Gracie has suffered and continues to suffer from. And after you hear all the details, I promise, most of you are gonna wanna help. Most of you are gonna wanna take that extra step to help this family get the justice that they deserve. You're gonna hear right from Angie and Gracie in this video and hearing it from them is going to really paint the picture for you. And before we even get into it, I just wanna let you know the biggest way that you can help them if you're able to do so is by making a donation to their GoFundMe. I will talk about other ways that you can help if you're not in a place to make a donation, I totally understand, but I wanted to put that out there right off the bat that this family needs financial assistance to get justice. And so that will be linked below. I will, of course, be making a donation on behalf of the channel as well, but there is a lot to go over here. So let's go ahead and jump in. First, I wanna cover some legal bases. I wanna be very clear that everyone I am speaking about today is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law and that everything I am sharing with you today is alleged and is not confirmed as fact. The information that I will be going over was made available to me via online research 
and from talking to the family directly. Angie and her daughter Gracie and the community that support them believe that several injustices have occurred at the hands of one individual and that individual has not been properly investigated. This has left them with many questions that I and many others believe they deserve answers to. However, of course, until a thorough and unbiased investigation has been completed, nothing can be said for certain. But through sharing this story today, I hope that we can help Angie and Gracie on their road towards healing and possibly get justice that may be needed for Grant. Also, I want to issue a very large trigger warning as this case involves topics that can be very upsetting to some that include child molestation, rape, and suicidal ideation. If these topics are too sensitive to you, I completely understand if you cannot continue. If that is the case, I highly encourage you to check out their GoFundMe, which is linked in the description, which has a brief synopsis of the case you can consider taking action without, you know, compromising your own emotional well-being, which I would never want. But with all that being said, we are here to discuss the suspicious and unsolved death of Grant Solomon, the abuse of his little sister, Gracie, and the courage of his mother, Angie. So let's start in 2001 when Angie met Aaron. After only six short weeks of dating, Angie Huffines married Aaron Solomon after becoming pregnant with their first of two children. But the decision to marry Aaron was not her own. She was pressured by both her parents and Aaron Solomon. And she says that even in her worst nightmare, she could not have predicted what the next 20 years of her life would be like. So Grant was born June 13th, 2002, followed by his little sister, Gracie, who was born in 2006. And their family was living just outside Nashville, Tennessee. And for as long as Angie can remember, she and her two children were living at the hands of an abuser. And again, just a reminder, this is in their opinion. But before I get into what happened to these three, I want to tell you about Grant and what a special human he was. By all accounts, Grant was a smart, very smart, very talented, and very loving young man. The other day when we were on the phone, Angie was telling me just how smart Grant even was as a baby. He spoke at a very early age, and he was always really into books. She would literally give him a stack of books in his playpen, and he would go through them and put the ones that he had already looked at over on the side. He was a very athletic person and sports really came naturally to Grant. So it wasn't really a big surprise that his love of athletics took over most of his life. He attended Grace Christian Academy in Franklin, Tennessee, and he became a star baseball player there. He excelled as a pitcher and without a doubt, he was a very well-liked and respected student among his peers. And one interesting thing about Grant that his mom really explained to me is that he had a knack for just knowing things. He kind of had a sense for when something was going on in someone's life. He just seemed to know when someone was in need of a friend and he would always be that friend. In fact, as he was growing up, if other kids were bullied, he would always make it his mission to make them feel included and stand up for people. Angie was explaining to me that there were several times where friends of his were actually considering taking their own lives and he just got a sense to call them and he just called at the right time and prevented them from doing so. And it's hearing stuff like that that made me even more upset that he is no longer with us because I think his death was truly a loss for the world. 
And I have no doubt that people would have known him for his athletic ability rather than his death had his life not been ripped away from him at such a young age because he was extremely talented. Grant was a fiercely loyal, very upbeat person, and he was just the type of guy whose aura you couldn't ignore. He was often described as an old soul because he was so wise, even in his younger years. And people describe him as someone that you could go to with anything. And he would give you advice as if he had lived a hundred lives already. Above all else, Grant was an exceptional son and big brother to his sister. Stay with him, Grace. Stay with him. But because of some of his life circumstances, he was forced to grow up faster than he should have. He juggled school, his wonderful relationship with his girlfriend, Hannah, and sports, all while living under a roof of a man who, according to Angie, didn't hesitate to emotionally and physically harm him. Hi, I'm Angie Solomon, and I'm Grant's mom. To tell you a little about Grant and my relationship, we were... Uh, very, very close from the minute he was born. Uh, when he was placed in my arms, he looked me straight in my eyes. And we actually have that picture, eyes wide open. It was really that way all the way until July 2020. Even though we were separated for five or six years by their father, Grant and my relationship never, it never changed. It was always palpable that I could feel him and he could feel me. And that, that's the same with Gracie too. Grant was, and I have struggled with was and is, but Grant was very, uh, he was just wonderful. I could talk about him all day. He was obviously so brave. Uh, he was an old soul. He had a photographic and an auditory memory, which I was incredibly jealous of. He was such a loving person to everyone that met him. He, his smile drew everyone to him but then he genuinely cared back. Um, he would check on people that he had just met through Snap or Instagram or all these things that everyone uses today, but he, he didn't just, he wasn't just on there to have a streak. He was very funny. He was incredibly spontaneous with laughter and to get people to laugh. And it seems like he always knew when people needed to laugh. Gosh, I miss him so much. He was a big guy, he was 6'4". 210, he was a great baseball player, he was a great pitcher. He had uh, six pitches he threw from five different positions or stances that he taught himself. He was a dealer, he was a batter's nightmare. He was also a great basketball player. Baseball was his sanctuary though. Uh, basketball was where he says he took out his anger. And it was just filled with love. He was filled with God. He was very, very godly. He always put himself least and lowest. He would ask me a hundred times, what I was gonna to do to get them out and get them back. Grant was determined. Uh, Grant was incredibly smart, as I mentioned earlier, but he was a, a national merit semifinalist. He was just everything, not just to me, Gracie. He was our rock, he was wisdom. He's the heart and soul of our family. Now we're trying to still learn to adjust to be here without him. Hi, my name is Gracie Solomon. I'm Grant Solomon's sister. And me and Grant had a very beautiful relationship. We were very close. We always leaned on each other when we needed to. 
through the, all the hard times that we endured together. We just had each other's back and he especially had mine. He was a protector, he was kind, he was very smart. He loved everyone, he was very lovable and he had such a beautiful soul. Hi, my name is Hannah Johnson. I was Grant Solomon's girlfriend. Grant and I originally met because we went to the same high school together. Like everyone else, I was extremely drawn to him and his character and there was just such a light about him, it was hard to go unnoticed. I think the very first encounter I remember with Grant was he was at a pottery place that I was at and he was sitting down painting pottery with his mom and sister. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, like this varsity athlete is taking time to paint pottery with his mom and sister. That's, <laughs> that's really admirable. But I think we officially met because one of my close friends introduced us. And then we started hanging out and became inseparable ever since. And then later down the road, that's when we officially started dating. Grant and I dated for around two years and also during the time of his passing. Now, it is extremely hard for me to try to capture all that Grant was into words, but I'm going to try to with the best of my ability. Grant was the most loving, caring, dependable, respectable human I have ever met. And not, not only was he those things to me while in a relationship, he implemented that on and off the court and field with his teammates, his friends, his peers, and that's why he was such a leader and people were drawn to him because of that he was also an old soul and loved old music and was very old-fashioned um, he was such a gentleman and treated me so well he really aimed to protect the women in his life he greatly cared for his mom angie and his sister gracie he was just he was such an amazing human and while being an old soul at the same time he was extremely goofy and he knew when to be serious in the right moments and then at other times knew when to appropriately be funny and let loose and that was one of my favorite things about him he was just so special and i miss him greatly now, something you will hear me continually say throughout this video is that Aaron denies these allegations. And although I'm not working with him directly on my coverage here today, I will be sharing all of his responses that I could find about the allegations being made against him. I also did try reaching out to his lawyer for comment and never got a response, but you know, at least I tried. Unlike Angie and Gracie, Aaron has not been super public about his version of events, and I will let you draw your own conclusion about why that is. So Angie says that Grant was only seven years old when she first found out that Aaron was cheating on her. But not only that, he was also grooming underage girls and hiring prostitutes. And this is all while working as a sports anchor in Nashville. Hello and welcome inside Sports Sunday. I'm Aaron Solomon. Titans training camp is less than two weeks away and players and coaches are getting some last minute R&R. &R. 
which means you could see Titans defensive line coach Jim Washburn on his motorcycle somewhere out in the countryside. He feels at home out there. Coach Wash enters his eighth season in the NFL looking for another Pro Bowl performance from one of his guys. In his first seven years, he sent five defensive ends to the Pro Bowl. Not bad considering the AFC only sends three each year. On the outside, he was this public, well-respected, and well-connected person in their community as well as the industry that he worked in. And unfortunately, Angie says this was not the first indication that her husband wasn't the man that she thought he was. Since they met, Angie said that he had always been physically abusive to her and that only continued and worsened over the years. And it was that same year in 2008 when Angie decided that she needed professional help. She needed professional help to talk through everything that she was going through and cope with the trauma that she had experienced for years. However, she didn't feel like she was able to get that help. Instead, she felt like Aaron had complete control of everything in her life, and that included who she spent time around. And she says for many years, she wasn't allowed to be around anyone else by herself. She wasn't allowed to speak to other people alone without Aaron hearing everything that she said. He literally controlled every aspect of her life, which is the sad reality for so many people in abusive relationships. And I mean this literally. Angie told me that Aaron would go with her everywhere, like running errands, or when she would get her hair done, he would literally go. And in her opinion, this was to prevent her from being able to tell other people what he was doing to her. And so I'm sure you aren't surprised to hear that she wasn't able to get that professional help she needed to cope and deal with Aaron because Aaron wouldn't allow her to see a therapist. Obviously, that was out of the question. Her being able to privately talk to someone about anything she wanted, he doesn't want that. To talk a little bit about Aaron's control over our life, that started immediately uh, when he took over my finances. He put his name on my house that I owned and on my vehicle um, that I owned. When Grant came, uh, we all had to dress alike, so Aaron would pick the color and then we would have to match him, and that continued when Gracie was there, was here. He also controlled who I talked to and who I didn't. He controlled when I went to doctor's appointments, dental appointments, gynecologist appointments. He had to be there. He had to be there sitting there listening. Things would get much more intense over the years, between 2002 and 2013. And as they got more intense, I really wanted to talk to somebody and tell them what was going on at home, but I just, I, there was no opportunity for me to do that. He isolated me from my family. He isolated me from friends. He controlled, even though I, I'm a pharmacist and I had a job he did not, he, he was in control of our money. He controlled the debit cards. Uh, he controlled the keys to the cars. Toward 2011, 12, and 13, he controlled the food. He controlled what was cooked. He did the cooking. He would not let me cook. He would not let me grocery shop. He would not let the children have milk. I can't even describe to you the level of control he had over our lives. The, the control was so bad that he would tell Grant when he could go potty number two just spontaneously. And if Grant wasn't able to go potty number two during that time that Aaron told him, then he would have to wait until the next day. And when Aaron told him on command to go, and Grant was so terrified of Aaron 
and the control that he had over all of us, that he was afraid to go at school because he was afraid that Aaron would somehow find out. I, I've never had a, a good relationship with my birth parents, including growing up, it was very intense. But Aaron worked diligently to um, isolate me from them should I ever have needed to go home. That that opportunity would be, would be gone. And all while he was working this control over us, the power and control wheel, which I learned about later through abuse, uh, domestic violence classes, he was taking the independent, intelligent, smart, outgoing, active, fun me, and just stripping me down to the bare nothing. In fact, she says the only way that he would allow her to see a therapist was if they went together. And that seemed to be the best option that she had. And so they did. And not long after they started seeing Dr. Fortell, he diagnosed Angie with PTSD and Aaron with a sex addiction. And I have seen other content creators report that Aaron at this point was also diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And I am not able to confirm this. But as for Angie's PTSD, she said that this stemmed from her childhood, which was anything but easy. And of course, this only worsened during her relationship with Aaron. Now, jumping forward to January of 2011, there was a pretty drastic change in their family life when Aaron became temporarily unemployed. And this is another piece of information that is heavily disputed based on who is telling the story. Of course, Aaron will tell you that he voluntarily left his anchor job with WSMV Nashville. However, it's Angie's opinion that he was forced to resign after inappropriate material was found on his work computer and phone. Of course, without proof, it is hard to say what is true here, and I am trying my best to stick to the facts. But the one undisputable truth here is that now that Aaron was unemployed, Angie became the sole breadwinner for their home. And of course, that's fine. However, Angie says that Aaron continued to control all of their finances even after this happened. And this doesn't just mean he was the one paying the bills and bookkeeping. He was micromanaging every cent that came into this house down to the milk that she was trying to buy for her children. She says that she would have to beg him to buy them milk and other basic things. At this time, she and Gracie would agree that his behavior only worsened and became more and more unpredictable. And it got especially bad in 2012 after his aunt passed away. This was in June of 2012 specifically. And after she passed, she left Aaron with a lot of money. To be specific, he was left with a multi-million dollar trust, which would eventually be given to him in monthly $100,000 payments. But because he wasn't receiving these payments yet, Aaron ended up getting a job in the meantime in investment banking. And I can't confirm this, but sources say that he was quickly fired from this position after he was found writing fraudulent checks. Now, it was also around this time that Angie was able to seek the help of Dr. Michael Reed, a psychiatrist. And this time, she was able to see him by herself. And this finally gave her the opportunity to speak to someone about what she was experiencing in her home, what her children were experiencing, and come up with a plan to get out of this relationship and get her and her children to safety. And what she didn't know at that time, but she would quickly learn, is that her daughter, Gracie, had something huge that she needed to get off her chest. 
In January of 2013, she tells her mother that her father had been doing things to her. And at the time, of course, she was too young to even really understand what was going on, but she knew that they weren't good things. And again, trigger warning here, but she told her mom things like he was putting things inside me and it hurt. And so, of course, Angie is horrified and she confronts Aaron about this. And according to her, he doesn't even deny it. And instead, he tells her, if you tell anyone about this, I will take the kids away from you. And that's exactly what he did. The first time that I ever told my mom what my dad was doing to me in the bath, I was probably about probably about four or five years old. And I had told her that I wasn't comfortable seeing a male doctor anymore because it reminded me so much of how my dad would touch me. And she was like, what do you mean by that? And I had proceeded to tell her how my dad was touching me inappropriately, whether that be my privates. And that was kind of like the first time that I told her that. And I believe I told her in a bathroom because at the time we were very like watched and I was scared and I thought I should tell her in a very private place. At this point, Angie knew that she had to take her kids and run, but it's not as easy as just leaving. And this is something that many people out there Unfortunately, probably many of you in this audience understand too well that it is not always as easy as just up and leaving. If she was going to leave, she knew she had to do it without further jeopardizing their safety. Keep in mind, according to Angie, Aaron had been threatening her. And so she was worried that if she tried to leave with the kids, he would do something really bad to them. So that's when she starts working on an escape plan with her psychiatrist, Dr. Reed. Now, she worked on this plan for a while. She meticulously thought it all out with the help of Dr. Reed. But unfortunately, Aaron ended up finding out about the plan, according to Angie, after going through her phone. And unfortunately, this, of course, makes their plan to leave a lot more risky. Angie, Gracie, and Grant all had to walk an extremely thin line around Aaron in fear that he would retaliate against them if they didn't behave according to his rules. And again, Aaron denies that any of this abuse occurs. However, it's very hard for me personally to believe that these three people, Angie, Gracie, and Grant, would all come up with this plan to make up some giant lie about Aaron. They stood literally nothing to gain by their accusations against him. So for Aaron to deny the abuse would suggest that he is calling all three of them liars. In late 2012, I had been hiding my abuse, so it had become, their violence had entered in after Gracie's birth, and really not as much violence. He controlled her baths, and he controlled her, and then he controlled my, my mothering of her, uh, almost as if he were jealous of that or something. But in 2008 and nine, things became violent at night after the children would go to bed and he would beat me. He would beat me incessantly. He would, or threaten me. He threatened me that if, as things worsened in the house and Gracie had come to me in 2012 and told me what was going on with dad, I knew that I had to wake up from whatever was going on with me, which was domestic violence. I found out later that uh, I had to get us out. And so I started making a plan 
to do that and try to pick up what was left of like the shell of who I am today and who I was prior to his even coming around. He, he told me that if I ever told anyone what was going on in the house, that I would never see my children again. Grant sang, uh, fronted a Christian band, so he could sing too, but um, he fronted a Christian band and that's what he and I did together. We, we Sports was big for us. Um, I come from a very athletic family, but Grant and I loved to sing and I used to perform. So he had a big performance and I helped with the vocals in the band. And one of my friends was there because her son was also in the band and she asked me what was wrong with my eye, it was black. And for the first time I actually told someone. And she set me up, uh, helped me get into it with a doctor here locally and that doctor is actually a psychiatrist but he ran an underground, kind of an underground railroad for domestic violence victims to help them get out and help get their children out. And so I started working with him in September of 2012 and we had a plan of escape and he asked me to keep a record of that plan on my, on my somewhere, keep a list of what happened on a daily basis in the house. So I did, I kept it on my phone and uh, I, went to pick the children up from school one afternoon and I realized about halfway there that I had left my phone at home. It wasn't a short drive. When I got back home, I walked into the bathroom and Aaron said, I told you what would happen if you ever told anyone. And he had read my notes and my, my phone was in the, floating in the toilet. And I knew that he, I knew that he meant it. And by this point, the three of them felt like they were fighting for their lives and that Aaron was so unpredictable, they felt at any point he could snap and do something bad. For Angie, that could mean more physical abuse. For Gracie, that could mean more sexual abuse. And for Grant, that could mean even more emotional manipulation. But even with everything they were going through behind the scenes that so many people didn't know about, Grant always had that smile on his face. He had a type of strength that doesn't exist in many people. And I really believe that this strength is what allowed Gracie and Angie to keep going. Now, all of their fears about Aaron snapping one day and doing something really bad became reality in May of 2013 when Aaron attempted to kill Angie. On the night of May 9th, 2013, Angie says that Aaron tried to take her life by wrapping a hairdryer cord around her neck. And Grant may have saved her life that night because he ended up being the only person who witnessed this happening and is most likely the reason that Aaron stopped. Unfortunately, Grant is not here today to corroborate that this attack took place. And at the time, Angie says that she and her son decided that it was too dangerous to tell anyone what happened. Angie says that she was terrified that telling someone would force Grant to have to testify against his own father in court. And after all, Angie says that Aaron told her that he would take the kids away if anyone found out about this. And I can only imagine the fears that went through Grant's mind and Angie's mind if they thought about him telling someone what happened. Although I do know that Grant would have done anything to protect his mother, even if that meant testifying against his own father. But I will share that the prospect of Grant going up against his father in court was a threat that they believed Aaron couldn't take. And sadly, Angie says that this alleged attack wasn't the end of Aaron's wrath. That same day, he 
he ends up calling her parents and the local hospital to let them know falsely that Angie had attempted to take her own life. And this resulted in Angie being taken to Parthenon Centennial Hospital in Nashville for a suicide attempt that never actually happened. But of course, while she was there, she explained her situation to hospital staff. And once they heard everything that was going on, they advised her to get a restraining order against Aaron and to get a divorce. And of course, this is what she wanted to do. However, she feared that these actions would result in further retaliation. In a written medical report from the hospital that the admitting physician spoke with Angie's outpatient psychiatrist who explained in summary that they had a working plan in place for her to take her kids and go somewhere safe. This same report also stated that Angie was not suicidal, nor did she have any history suggesting that she's attempted to take her own life in the past, which means that the reason that Erin said she needed to be hospitalized was false. And as soon as she returned home from this hospital stay, it became clear why Erin did all this. On May 11th, 2013, after Angie gets home, she is horrified when she realizes that Gracie and Grant had been taken by Aaron. Aaron had finally done what he had always threatened to do. He took the kids from her and Angie was just beside herself. Angie is a wonderful mother. She loves her kids more than anything in the world. And this was the absolute worst case scenario for her. Oh, and this just so happens to be the same day that Aaron starts receiving the $100,000 monthly payments that were outlined in his aunt's will. And you can make of that what you will. Obviously, Angie starts frantically trying to figure out where her kids are. But after no one is answering her calls and texts trying to locate them, she is absolutely fed up. So she decided to reach out to someone at the Metro Nashville Police Department to report a kidnapping and explain her situation. At this point, now that her worst nightmare has come true, she feels that she has nothing left to lose. And she says that in this process, she started to get a little glimmer of hope that she felt like people were finally starting to believe her. But that was short-lived. She says that basically out of nowhere, her report was blown over and they told her that there was nothing that they could do. And obviously, I cannot say with certainty that there was some type of corruption going on here. But in my opinion, this is weird. And things like this do not just blow over randomly. And because her report of abuse was dismissed, Angie felt like she would only ever see her kids again if she abided by Aaron's rule. And the number one rule of Aaron's was don't tell anyone anything or else. So on May 15th, she ends up seeking out her own lawyer. But this is when she finds out that Aaron had already started seeking a divorce and that he was filing an order of protection against her on behalf of himself and their children. If that doesn't resonate with you, let me say it another way. In my opinion, Aaron was spreading vicious lies that Angie was mentally ill and a threat to her own children. Therefore, he and the kids should be legally protected from her. And I can say that these were lies because Angie has literal proof from her psychiatrist that she was not mentally ill and not a threat to her kids. But things just kept going downhill from here. At the end of May, just one day after he returned home with the kids, Aaron tricked Gracie and Grant into getting into his car at 5 a.m. and he once again stole them from their mother. And unfortunately, this time it would be months 
before they would be reunited again. Well, actually, the night before, he had thought it would be like a fun idea for me and my brother to sleep in sleeping bags in the living room as like a camp out kind of thing. I'm not sure. And so we had slept out in the living room. And that morning, he said that we were going to go get my mom donuts and bring them back to the house. And at the time, she was still in bed. And that was the last time that I saw her for a very, very long time. We had started driving to go get the donuts. And we ended up driving past the donut shop. And at that moment, I just was freaking out. And I didn't really know what to do. And I was crying. And I was like, why are we not going to get donuts? Like what are you doing? And then he continued to speed up the car and my brother attempted to get out of the car. He like almost opened the door and my dad grabbed his wrist so hard that Grant would still touch it when he was here in like 2020 in counseling. He would still touch that wrist and almost like my dad like broke it or something. And he kept Grant from getting out of the car and Grant was screaming and we were both crying and we just didn't know what to do. And my dad told us that that was the last time we were gonna see her. And it kind of implied that she was like dead or that I was just never gonna see her again. And I didn't know what to do. And about a month after her kids were taken from her a second time, her hopes of getting them back were crushed during their divorce hearing. The judge who presided over this case seemed to not believe anything that Angie was saying when it came to her ability to care for her kids. And this was made even worse by the fact that Angie's own father and sister testified against her. Now, she did not have a good relationship with them. She was not close with them. And for two people who, in her mind, barely knew her, to be testifying against their own family member was shocking. It's in her belief that Aaron would do and say anything to make people believe that she was this unstable, untrustworthy person incapable of raising her own children. Meanwhile, Aaron was the one who put a lock on Grant's door so that he couldn't protect his sister. He would literally lock them in their room, allegedly. And there's one more thing about the divorce hearing that I wanna share. The same judge who awarded Aaron custody of the kids said that Angie had to undergo a forensic mental health examination. But even after choosing who Angie was evaluated by, he ended up throwing out the entire report. Now, why would he do this, you might ask? Well, she believes that it's because this report would confirm that she was a loving, caring mother who was more than capable of taking care of her two children, who loved her immensely. And that just doesn't go along with Aaron's narrative that she is this unfit mother. But as a result of all of this, Aaron was awarded custody and this was obviously extremely upsetting to angie but also to grant and gracie and if you know anything about custody battles which is a topic on its own it is actually very rare statistically for fathers to be granted full custody especially in cases where the mother does not have some history of mental illness and angie does not so why did this happen in this case? And I can't say for certain, but it makes me wonder, and maybe it'll make you wonder too, if there was something going on behind the scenes, maybe some personal connections that gave Aaron some pull in this case. And again, that's just my opinion. And while in his care, 
Gracie and Grant said that the abuse only worsened. So as the months went on, it became extremely clear to all of them that their fight for their freedom and for custody for Angie was going to be a very difficult uphill battle for them. It wasn't until February of 2014 that Angie was able to see Gracie and Grant again. And to her, it was clear that based on their physical condition, both children had been deprived of good care. Gracie herself looks like she hadn't slept the entire time that she was away from her mom. And later that year, in November, she confided in her mother that the sexual abuse from her father had never stopped. In fact, in March of 2015, while Gracie was FaceTiming her mom, she showed her the bruising inside her thighs. And according to Erin, these marks inside of her thighs were rashes from swimming. But neither Grace or Angie say that that's true. And I'll let you draw your own conclusion about that. And if everything that I have shared up until this point hasn't shocked you, sit tight because it gets so much worse. In April of 2015, Erin had Angie thrown in jail. And she believes that this was to prevent her from talking more about her daughter's abuse. And I'm sure you're wondering, how was he able to make this happen? And he did this by making her look like an unfit mother financially. So when Erin uh, did take the children from their beds, uh, which is the last time I was mom, it's almost approaching the 10 year anniversary of that. Then he took me to court for what was supposed to be a divorce. And it em ended up being an ambush on my character, on my integrity, on my person. I went into that court thinking I was going in to discuss custody arrangements while the divorce was being worked out, but instead it was, I mean, the judge told me I would never be a mom again. Well, you gotta understand that that's Aaron behind that, telling his attorney what he wants. And that day I wasn't, and after that I wasn't. I fought, scraped and scratched to the nail for my children relentlessly which meant him taking me to court over and over again, some 250 times or more. I continued to be shot down. I went years without seeing my children. I moved to another county in order to get away from the judge here in da Davidson County. And when I did, the children revealed more that was happening to them, uh, Gracie sexually and Grant physically and emotionally, both emotionally. And we were able to go to court there in Coffee County and uh, the doctor didn't show up. So I didn't win, I lost there. My attorney said, you're you know you're going to jail now because I've been threatened so many times by the Philip Smith in circuit court in Davidson County. So what happened was, um, which ultimately is Aaron having his attorney work that through the judge. So I was a pharmacist there in Coffee County and my pay uh, one day when it was supposed to come in, it did not. And it, my check was garnished and Scott Parsley had taken the entire amount. Um, the next thing they did was file for me to open Davidson County Court for failed child support payments. Now, mind you, as a side note, Aaron is a multimillionaire and they forced me to sign a paper in court that I would not talk about his trust and the disbursements and the multimillions that he had. So they had, I was paying child support to Aaron and I wasn't able to pay that child, that child support that month. They took, because of my money, was gone. So they took me to court. It was the Monday before Easter of 2015. It was my first appearance for anything like any child support, which now I found, I've heard that that's 
you get many, many chances to make up child support. Well, I did not. And the judge said, it's not just gonna be civil, I'm gonna charge you with criminal. And he did, criminal contempt. And then he sentenced me to jail. The Davidson County Jail on Easter weekend. He told me to report at 10.30 on that following Friday. I could still hear all the attorneys who'd gather every time we would have court in that courtroom. I could still hear all of them gasp. I turned to my attorney and I said, can you please ask him if I can report later because I have to do the control inventory for the month at the pharmacy. My attorney asked and he said, you can report no later than midnight, but if it's 12.01, you're a fugitive of justice. And so I went to jail and it almost killed me. So between April of 2015 and 2018, the best course of action for Grant, Gracie, and Angie was to lay low and do what they could to keep Aaron happy. Gracie began therapy, and for a short time there, she had established some boundaries with Aaron. But it was still very clear at this point that Gracie and Grant wanted to be in custody of their mother. So in 2018, their efforts to get there finally picked up steam again. And it started with Angie being able to talk to two friends who encouraged her to go to Grant and Gracie's school and let someone there know what was happening. She tried alerting both the school and the local church about the abuse and also about her concerns that Aaron was grooming young girls from the school on social media, again, alleged. But nobody, and I mean nobody, took her concerns seriously. The director of campus safety and even the headmaster of Grace Christian Academy wouldn't do anything about these allegations. After several attempts of sharing her concerns, neither the school nor church reported the allegations to DCS or police. And get this, the church's pastor, Steve Berger, was asked to have a meeting with Grant to discuss the abuse. And to this day, he continues to lie about what was said in that meeting. He says that Grant had only spoke to him in that meeting about wanting to be closer to God and never brought up any of the abuse that he was experiencing, his sister was experiencing, and his mother was experiencing. And unfortunately, Grant, as I've alluded to, is not here to tell us in his own words what actually happened in those meetings. But Gracie and his girlfriend, Hannah, know that that is untrue and that Grant was telling him about the abuse. And this is a very common theme for Grant and Gracie. As soon as they would work up the courage to tell someone at school or at church what was happening, they were silenced and just flat out not believed. First off, I want to say that my school not only silenced me, they invalidated all of my feelings and experiences, and they silenced me in so many ways. But most importantly, the one day my dad had tried to come get me at school for a doctor's appointment, and we did actually have a doctor's appointment, I had no idea that he was coming to get me, and at the time I wasn't speaking to him. And I was sitting in the principal's office because I had gotten called down there, and I said I was not gonna go with him, and I had locked myself in that principal's office room and waited for her to come back in. And after she came in, I proceeded to tell her that I was sexually molested and abused, and 
she then told me to go get in the car with him and go to the doctor and she can't do anything about it or else she would get in trouble. So that was the main thing that really alarmed me. And after that whole thing happened when I had like a restraining order in place at one point, they still allowed him to come to games. And I was just, I was, at that time I was trying to have fun with my friends and like, for example, like be at football games and he was there at football games and I was just so scared that he was there. They would just run every single chance I would have to just like be myself because he was always there up in my business trying to find any way to get close to me or speak with me. They would always tell other people to stay away from me and not to listen to me and they told me to never talk about it never talk about it to my friends when those were the only people I could talk to because I was not seeing my mom and obviously I was not going to talk to my dad about it and I was just trying to speak with my friends about it and word got out around the school what was going on and the whole topic of sexual abuse was went out in the school and they called me into the principal's office and told me to not speak about it at all and they just completely ignored all of the things that I've that I was telling them and just so they could please my dad and let him do what he wanted to do and still have like full control over me. Such adult things and, mm -hmm. you know, it's not always clear in a child's mind, you know, mm -hmm. even if she's dealing with adult things, you know. Us, mm -hmm. I've had three parents over the weekend that said, my child came to me and asked me, what is sexual abuse? You know, where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. You know, um, so a lot of kids are a lot of kids are being affected by the, you know what she's gone through and what she's telling people. And then they're so young. We're talking about ten and eleven year olds. Mm -hmm. You know, so they don't know what to do with them. And then they go tell somebody else. And then it's like I just don't want it to like become the talk of the school or to grow right. a life of its own. Contain this so that, yeah, for her sake, number one, because it isn't just about sixth grade for her. This is, you know what I mean? This, these are her peers all the way up. And so I don't want something that's going to be detrimental to her that's going to fall. She hasn't, she's not thinking of the future. She's thinking of right now, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm thinking of the future and how this is going to follow her with her peers, you know. And then I also have to think about other students who are now, you know, having to deal with We were trying to squash that right. as far as like, we don't want other students then going and talking to So I did ask her. Other students. Sorry, yeah. Who, who have you told? You know, mm -hmm. told, you know? Mm -hmm. And I didn't say, who have you told that your dad's sexual abuse? I didn't use that word. I didn't say that in no. front of her. I just said, who have you talked to about this? Mm -hmm. From not just a school perspective, but from a mom who's raised daughters, I'm looking at, at Gracie's next six years, not just right now, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And the things that are said and opinions that are formed and all of that is gonna, is, is gonna affect her. Grant first disclosed to me about the abuse with his mom and sister prior to us dating after we had been friends for a while. I do not believe that he originally said that his father was the perpetrator, but he did share with me that his little sister, Gracie, had been abused in the past, and his mom had also undergone abuse of some sort, but didn't originally 
share with me that it was from his dad. I knew that his parents were divorced and when I came into the picture, they were still in a custody battle and constantly going to court. And he was currently residing with his dad. You know, I started catching hints here and there that Grant and his father didn't have the best relationship. I remember one night I was riding in the car with him and he just started crying in front of me. And that was the first time I had ever seen him cry. And, you know, it was, a, it was about his dad and how he was scared to go to his dad's house. And I was a little bit confused because I was still new, but he was like, I'm scared to stand up for, I'm, I'm scared to stand up to my father. And he just starts crying. And next thing I know, he calls his dad and tells his dad, I'm not coming home tonight. I'm going to my friend's house. And that was a really big deal for Grant. And he did end up going to his friend's house, but I didn't really know much then what instilled so much fear in Grant. And then as our relationship progressed, I slowly kind of caught on to why Grant didn't really want me to be around his dad. I mean, I would, I would only interact with him a little bit during Grant's baseball or basketball games. But beyond that, he was extremely protective about me talking to his father. But as Grant and I were dating and I saw, you know, the effects that Grant's dad had on on Grant and, you know, Grant became, you know, very anxious and his dad held him to a very high standard and Grant was crumbling under the pressure of it all. And it was really affecting his mental health and bleeding into his schoolwork and baseball and all of that. That was when I started learning more about Gracie and why he was so adamant about and defensive towards his sister. I do remember Grant saying that once he turned 18, he wanted to expose his father and expose his father for what he did to Grant and Gracie and his mom. Now, Grant really wanted to keep me out of the drama that was occurring in their home life. So I was, you know, whenever I was around, he kind of used that as his escape from reality. Meanwhile, Angie was not quitting. And at this point, she still didn't have custody of the kids. But any time that she did have a chance to speak with them, she was reminded of just how scared and miserable that they were in Aaron's care. So in early May of 2018, she had a meeting with Williamson County Sheriff Jeff Long. And in their meeting, she first spoke about her concern over the safety of the students at Grace Chapel Academy based on her allegations that Aaron was grooming young girls. Again, these are allegations. I just have to keep making that abundantly clear. And of course, she also spoke about the abuse that she and her own kids had endured. As a result of these allegations, a forensic interview was scheduled at Child Advocacy Center for Gracie and Grant. And they basically sat down with a social worker and explained exactly what was happening. But even this was dismissed. I mean, they literally spoke in detail about all of the abuse that they had been experiencing. And yet all of it was just dropped 
by the person that they spoke to. And at this point, Angie is telling everyone and anyone that she can at the school and church who will listen that they needed help, but was continuously told by these men in power that there was nothing they can do. And with nobody helping, Angie said she further fell victim of abuse. In one incident in August of 2018, Gracie and Aaron had driven Grant to a baseball tournament and stopped at a hotel for the night on their way home. But despite asking for her own bed, Aaron only got one for the two of them to share. And that night, after texting her mom and telling her how scared she was, Gracie was molested. Yet even after this horrifying attack, Gracie had the courage to record a video outlining her trauma. There just so happened to be another custody hearing that day, and Gracie hoped that recording this video and playing it for the judge would persuade him to take her out of Aaron's care. But this did not work, because according to Aaron, this never occurred, and the judge just believed him. And not only did the judge just decide not to watch Gracie's video, but they also didn't watch the video that was recording during their interview with the social worker that was taken earlier that year, the video that outlined the abuse that she'd experienced. And so for another four weeks, Gracie and Grant lived in fear under their father's care until there was another hearing on September 16th. And get this, this says a lot. One day after school, Gracie was so scared to be picked up by her father and go home with him that she hid in the principal's office. Obviously, they asked her why she was hiding and why she didn't want to go home. And she literally explained to them exactly why. And instead of doing anything to protect her or calling people that could, they forced her to get in her father's car and go home with him. Honey, right, so let's go. Let's go. I'm, please. Right, I want so, to ride with mom. All right, so then after the party, you go with me and Grant to Mississippi? I don't, I don't want to go to Mississippi, we're supposed to be following rules that aren't being followed. And there's reasons for the rules. And it doesn't matter what me, us three think. And we've had this conversation a number of times, but it's going to stop. Gracie will be coming to me at some point. Whether you like it or not, it will happen. Because I'm not going to continue to allow us to be breaking the rules. And you shouldn't be allowing it either. And you shouldn't be allowing it either. It's not just about what you want right now. It's, it's, it's much bigger than that. And I've tried to play nice and be nice about it, and you, and, but you've been with mom way more than you're supposed to and more than, way more than what the judge there said. Shouldn't be supposed it doesn't to. matter what you think right now. Now, as far as that custody hearing on September 16th, the judge finally agreed to watch that video from the forensic interview. However, he did not watch it in its entirety. It was initially ruled that now Angie would have custody, finally, and for them, for a short time, it felt like things were turning a corner. But later, the judge went back on his ruling and said that Gracie could stay with her mom, but that Grant was a big boy 
who could take care of himself. And what makes that so upsetting is, from what I understand, allegedly, Aaron was still doing everything he could to control Grant. For one, Grant had worked so hard to be the best baseball player he could be. And he applied to a bunch of different schools and was very excited to have, hopefully, his choice because he also excelled academically. But Aaron hid his college acceptance letters from him. He literally would say that he wasn't going to let Grant go anywhere but Harvard. Talk about pressure. Meanwhile, obviously, getting into Harvard is very exciting, but Grant wanted to stay close to his sister and his mom because they meant everything to him. So obviously, he was super confused when he wasn't getting acceptance letters back from any other colleges. Grant really felt that he didn't have a say in his future, which is something that no one should have to experience. So jumping forward to February of 2019, Angie decides to take another crack at pursuing legal action against Aaron. Because even though Gracie was now in her care and doing better, Grant was not. But even after trying to prove that she should be the person with sole custody of both kids, the judge not only dismissed the case, but she also barred Angie from filing any motions against Aaron for six years when Gracie turned 18. And she literally called Angie an abusive litigant, which means that she abused the legal system for her own benefit. Oh, and remember Steve Berger, the pastor who lied about speaking with Grant about the abuse? The one who said they only got together to speak about Grant's relationship with God? Turns out he also has close ties to this judge. So make of that what you will. If it isn't already clear, in my opinion, the good old boys club was hard at work. And by this point, I have summarized two decades of trauma that this family has endured. And I have focused mainly on Angie and Gracie as their stories are very important to tell, just as important as Grant's, but we haven't even gotten into the suspicious death of Grant Solomon. I'm hoping that by sharing this, more people will be made aware of what happened to Grant and there will be a greater chance of his case being properly looked into and possibly getting justice for Grant. So in 2020, Grant was 18 years old and still pursuing baseball full time. But being 18, as much as you may think so, was not something that Grant was looking forward to because according to Angie, Grant was terrified about becoming an adult. And this was mainly because he felt that he missed out on a lot of his childhood because he was forced to live with Aaron and forced to go through years of abuse and control. In many ways, he lost his childhood and had to constantly be in fear that he would have to step in and protect his sister. But the one upside to turning 18 is that he was hoping to take Aaron to court and finally get full custody himself of Gracie because she was still underage and him getting full custody would protect her from Aaron's abuse. And the fact that Grant was starting to move forward with legal procedure to get custody of her is a huge reason why it's believed by many that his life was taken from him on July 20th, 2020. So that day, he and his father Aaron took separate cars to a baseball training facility called Ward Performance Institute, which is located in Gallatin, Tennessee, and they arrived just before 9 a.m. Now, Grant desperately did not want to go in for training that morning. Like I mentioned, this was 2020 and Grant had just gotten over COVID and it was really hard on his body and his lungs were still 
recovering. He felt like this could negatively impact his health. He felt like his lungs were not ready and recovered enough to get back into baseball. And like I mentioned earlier, Grant had an incredibly intuitive nature about him, and he seemed to sense that things were going to happen. And I cannot make this up, but that same morning as he was leaving his mom's house to go to training, he told her that he, quote, didn't want to die in Gallatin today. Angie was very frightened hearing this, and she thought it was because of the condition of his lungs from recovering from COVID. She never could have imagined what actually would happen that day. Obviously, Grant couldn't have known exactly what was going to happen, but clearly he had a really bad feeling. But he went to training anyway because he was being pressured by his father, and truly he felt like he had no other choice. Now, according to Aaron's own statement, one of them at least, he says that when they got there, the two of them parked in their separate cars in the lot, which is located on a bit of a hill. And after parking... Grant proceeded to exit his truck. Aaron claims to have seen Grant walk towards the back of his truck where his baseball equipment was, but then he claims he looked away briefly to check a work email. He looked up and he saw that Grant's truck was no longer parked next to his car. And then he noticed that Grant's truck had rolled backwards down the hill into a ditch. And when he went over to the truck to see what happened, he noticed that his son was now trapped underneath it. This is when he places this 911 call that I am about to play for you. And I want to hear your thoughts on it. But in my opinion, it is missing serious concern that any parent would have for their child in this situation. I'm trying. Where's your emergency? It's 1357 South Water Street. It's off 109. Please hurry. You said 57? Please, sorry. Okay, what's going on? 57. Uh, my, my son's truck backed over him, and he's, it's rolled over him and dragged him into the ditch, and it's on top of him. He's trapped under the truck, and I, 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 somehow it drug him underneath it. Yes, my son is under it. I'm trying to, no, I'm, I'm trying to call 911. My name is Aaron Solomon. And you said oh you're my God. 1357 Southwater Avenue, right? Yes. How old yes. is the male? He's 18. He just turned 18 a couple weeks, about a month ago. Oh, my God. This is not good. Is he awake? Oh, please hurry. I don't know. I don't think so. He's not, uh, he's not alert, right? No, he's out, and he's trapped. I got three guys here, and he's trapped under the truck. I understand, sir. Stay on the phone with me while we get somebody out there. What's your name? Aaron Solomon. What kind of vehicle is it? It's a Toyota Tacoma. Tacoma, and it's the, the vehicle has to. He's underneath the vehicle. Okay, I've got and, that. And, and it's that's my son. It's somehow backed up. Yeah, yeah. I'm on one. I'm on with nine one one right now. Oh my God. Was your son working on it? No, no. He was just getting out of it. It's the hill. It's. We're on an incline, and I guess he didn't have it in park or something, or it wasn't engaged, or... Is oh, my God, I can't believe this. still not responding? No, no. And he's still under no. truck. No one can get yes. him from under No, it's... No. We saw units and route to you. I'm just asking you questions before we can huh? update him, okay? Somebody's telling me that he's coming, too. Okay. Maybe. He's waking up. Maybe. Kind of Kind of keeping still, so he is. Well, he can't, yeah, he can't move. I don't think he can move. I, I don't know. Okay, I no, he can't move. He's trapped. 
Okay, well, we got somebody in route. Now, when he wakes uh, up, he might I'm be telling scared. Him, man. Can somebody I'm get telling him. there and talk to him? Yeah, somebody talk to him. There, there's blood. What, is he facing up or down? He's facing up. They said he may aspirate. We need to hurry. So does he have blood coming out of his mouth? Yeah, he's, yeah. there's blood coming out. Yeah, somehow it drug him down, I think. I don't know whether it was in his heart or what or if it didn't engage the brake or it drug him underneath somehow. Okay. They said he's facing up. Okay. But he's bleeding from his mouth. So, Grant, turn your face to the side if you can, barely, but be careful. Don't move him, okay? We can't, we can't move him. All right, these and they're there. I'm going to let you go, okay? Yeah, okay. okay. All right. Uh-huh, bye-bye. Here are some strange things about this call if you didn't catch them yourself. Aaron doesn't mention going down to check on his son and even confirms later that he never went down into the ditch after the incident. He also mentions something about there being witnesses to all this. But guess what? That's not true. At least not that can be corroborated. When emergency responders got there, they did their best to try and free Grant and save him. Unfortunately, it was too late and Grant had horrible blunt force trauma to his head. They ended up finding a laceration on the back of his head and also a skull fracture. And later on, doctors found bruising to his jaw, left hip, and right thigh. This head wound, which according to Aaron's story, would have had to have happened after hitting his head on the parking lot concrete before being dragged backwards into the ditch was fatal. And after being rushed to the emergency room, Grant Solomon was pronounced dead at 9.28 a.m. Now, I just said that his head wound was fatal, but that's not even what doctors wrote down as his cause of death. But cardiac arrest was listed as his actual cause of death. And then when Angie arrived to the hospital, Aaron, according to her, said something really weird. He told her that they would be a family now. Aaron gave a statement and declined an autopsy. Big red flag here, people. He didn't want an autopsy or any sort of post-mortem examination. And with that, the case was closed. Now, if his desire to get this case closed seemingly as quick as possible doesn't make you concerned, well, this probably will. After Grant was pronounced dead, Aaron allegedly said that his son's organs could still be donated as late as 9 p.m. that night without ventilation. This makes me curious if there was something in the autopsy that he did not want people to know about. And I am here today because, in my opinion, the cause of this fatal head wound did not occur when Aaron said it did. For starters, the very premise of Aaron's story is that he and Grant were going to a baseball training facility for practice that morning. However, after speaking to the person that runs the facility, it became clear that neither Aaron or Grant had an appointment that day. And even if we ignore that, which we shouldn't, Aaron claimed Grant got out of his truck to grab his equipment from the trunk of his car. But Grant never kept equipment there. He always kept it in the truck, in the back seat. But not only that, and this is extremely weird, one of Grant's baseball bats was missing from the truck. He always had several in his truck, and to this day, it still hasn't been found. As I will explain later, and as 
many of you just know from common sense, it is absolutely crucial that a crime scene reconstruction is done in this situation. It goes without saying that this would be a very critical piece to the puzzle that absolutely needs to be done. And it's something that Gracie and Angie want done desperately. And even for Aaron's sake, I mean, if what he said happened really happened the way he said it did, why wouldn't he want that done to clear his name and clear any doubts in anyone's mind? It is very confusing and suspicious, in my opinion, that he seems so adamant that the case is not re-examined. But the reality is, the story that Aaron is telling, the stories, I should say, do not match up with what the crime scene tells us, at least not based on the information that I have learned and what I will share with you now. For starters, for his story to be true, Grant would have had to been overtaken by his truck while he was still standing in the parking lot. And based on where Aaron said his car was parked, there was about 60 feet from that spot to where it ended up in the ditch. That would indicate that his head wound was also sustained in the parking lot. But where was the blood? Not in the parking lot. Nope. It was only found on the rocks right where his body was found under the truck. Oh, and the inside of the truck too. Reports say that there was blood inside Grant's truck. How is that even possible if we believe Aaron's story that he was killed outside of the car? Now, I don't know exactly how much blood was found, but I think any blood being found is worth an investigation. And then we have data from the Life360 app on Grant's phone that indicated that he was never even at the top of the parking lot. Now, I don't know how accurate the Life360 data is, but I thought this was worth mentioning. His phone only pinged at the bottom of the lot near where his body was found. But the biggest thing here, in my opinion, is that the wounds on his body don't even indicate that he was dragged 60 feet through concrete into a rocky ditch. He didn't have any scrapes on his body, no scuff marks, nothing that would validate Aaron's story. Even his glasses, which he always wore, were found on the sidewalk side of the ditch, not in the parking lot where they would have fallen off if he was trampled and dragged by his car. His shoes weren't even the slightest bit scuffed. Tell me, please tell me how that is even remotely possible. The tire marks from the truck also suggest that the car didn't roll backwards into the ditch, but rather drove into it from the roadside. And these are just things that should not be ignored. That is, unless you are the Gallatin Police Department, in which case, yes, you definitely ignored all this. They ignored crucial evidence that could possibly prove that this was a crime scene and not the scene of a tragic incident. In fact, the attorney general even said that the parking lot was a crime scene. So why didn't they treat it that way? Also, Grant's hat, glasses, and phone were all just left on the sidewalk and not considered pieces of evidence. And get this, the black box inside of Grant's truck? Gallatin police didn't even ask for it. If this was some tragic car accident that had to do with some terrible malfunction, then why wouldn't they confirm that beyond a reasonable doubt? And one of the biggest discrepancies here has to do with Grant's phone. His phone, which was reportedly seen at the crime scene, just seemed to disappear. And additional Life360 data shows that someone had Grant's phone the entire day that he died, and it wasn't returned to Angie until later that night. During that day, it was gone. And when she got it back, the phone was completely destroyed. And if that doesn't scream suspicious to you, I don't know what does. But despite all of this, Aaron was only questioned for a few 
few minutes at the scene. It didn't seem like there was any doubt that he was telling the truth. But of course, if they had properly invested Grant's death, then I wouldn't be here today telling you about this injustice. And to this day, as you can imagine, the suspicious death of Grant Solomon has continued to haunt Angie and Gracie and all those who loved him, his girlfriend, Hannah. This was such a massive loss. And to not have answers and have all these suspicions about what actually happened, as you can imagine, takes such a toll on them. And because it was clear that his death was not going to be further investigated, Angie took matters into her own hands and recorded Aaron as he gave her yet another explanation of what happened to Grant. And obviously the hope here is that she can catch him in a lie or at least have his version of events on camera in case he changes them again. And Where weird. were the rocks? All right, so this is actually a decent example of, of how... So this is... So WPI is up here. Then the, the parking lot is kind of like this. Yeah. And then at the edge of the parking lot, it's just like this, a ditch that's steeper than this, down. And then it goes back up. And so down in here is those rocks. Okay. On a little bit of both sides. And then okay. here's 109. So what had happened is the truck actually comes down this, and you can see, I think the bumper got damaged probably when it was when it like there. Yeah, yes, but the, with the force mm -hmm. was so much, the truck, when it settled, was actually, the front was kind of against that side of the ditch, and the back end was actually stuck up on almost the shoulder of 109. So, so that's why the, the front end was tilted a little bit back down. Yes. And that's what, yes. and that's truck, what was laying on him. Yes. So the heavy part of the truck is on his end. Also, it's extremely unstable. That's they, as soon as they hopped out, they had stabilization things for the back and jacks for the front. So they could jack it up without it rolling forward on top of him more. So when you saw him last, where was he standing? All right, so I'm in my car. We both, I'm right here, like You're, you're parked here on yeah, the I'm, on this yes, side of I'm, him. I'm right here. Uh -huh. I look over first when we first pull up and he's looking at his phone and wrapping something up. And then I've got, I'm checking to make sure work emails that are coming in aren't something I need to address. My car is still running with air conditioner on, so I can't hear if his is on or off. But the last, so I look down, then I look back up and I see him, because we were early. I mean, we, yeah. we had like plenty of time. So there was no rush. We had our time. So the last I see is him literally like right here, closing this, about to open this. And I'm thinking, oh, he's just gonna get his gear. And I'm gonna check this email to make sure it's not important. And then I'm gonna get out and we're gonna go in. Did he have his ball cap on then yeah. and everything? Yeah. Had his hat on, had his glasses on, because I and then and that's the last you saw him was right yeah. there. Yes, and the truck wasn't rolling at that no. point because well, you would have noticed it. Right, right, right. So here's the thing: I don't know whether he got this and it started rolling, and he tried to stop it and got knocked down, or if he was in here and then it knocked him down and knocked him out, and maybe the door dropped. I don't, I don't know. But but when he you was know. laying there, he was on his back. Yes, yes, face up, chest up. Now there's almost an hour of this footage, but he goes into detail about the position that Grant's body was found in. He's telling Angie that Grant was under the passenger side of the car, 
but the police report and even photos from the scene indicate that he was under the driver's side. And something else that jumped out to me is when Aaron said that he tried to see if the car would, quote, pop out of park and flip into another gear on its own. Well, guess what? And anyone that knows anything about cars knows that it doesn't. And it also doesn't spontaneously move backwards because that's not what cars do. What's that? Well, I just tried to see if I could even put it in park where it's over where it shifts and it won't even stay there. It automatically goes over here. So, okay. I don't know. It's just so free. Wait, you did what? That makes sense. No, I was trying to see, see how park it goes in there. I was trying to see, like you were saying, would it pop out of park? It can't because it has to go over to the column. Right. So it won't stay there. It won't stay right there to possibly pop down to reverse. No. I mean, just, what happened? I don't know. None of it makes sense. And because I didn't see the whole thing, I mean, nobody knows except God. Is his cooler you know? in here that I packed yeah. him? Yeah. And for as puzzled as he seemed about the car's mechanical issues, Aaron refused to have the truck examined. And again, that makes me wonder if he wants to have all of these doubts and allegations put to rest. Why would he not want the car to be examined? Anyway, Grant's memorial was held on July 25th, and I cannot imagine how painful this must have been for those who loved him. Not only was Grant gone, but the circumstances surrounding his death were anything but clear. I know you aren't here with us right now, but I have faith that you will see this in some form. Thank you for being the best friend that anyone could ever ask for. I remember just a few days ago, I went out with you because you had just started doing DoorDash. You were so excited to start doing it, and it made me happy to see that smile on your face. I know that we had planned possibly in the future to get an apartment in Nashville together and even somehow start a business someday. Even though we can't do that now, I'm comforted by the fact that you're probably playing a game of catch with Jesus right now. I will never forget our jams to pop smoke in the car. And I certainly won't forget our late night milkshake runs at the gas station. Cookies and cream was always the best. I especially loved all of our deep conversations. You were one of the few people that I knew would drop everything if I needed to talk about something. Thank you for being right there next to me when I was going through a rough time in my life. To my dear friend and second baseman, Grant, there's been nothing that brings me more joy than getting to be a part of your story in this life. Although your journey has come to an end here on this earth, you have somehow continued to inspire so many people to treat others as Christ would. During this past week, I cannot even begin to describe how much this group of guys has talked, laughed, cried, questioned, and mourned this whole thing. I miss you more than I know how to express. We all do. I want you to know that playing baseball will never be the same. I miss your friendship and your brotherhood so much. During your time here, you touched so many people and loved everyone so well. My experience losing Grant was, still is the worst thing that ever happened. Before Grant left that morning, he stopped in the door and said something that was so out of character. But he said, Mom, I don't want to die in Gallatin today. I begged and pleaded 
not to go or I would go with him. Let me sit in the parking lot. I thought it was, he was talking about his lungs from where he had COVID. He was getting over it. We were having to have x-rays and see doctors. I didn't want to be a helicopter mom, but I just thought it might just be there. He said, no, mom, you're not going. And an hour later, I got a phone call. Grant was Danny Captain. And I still don't know what to do without him. I know Grant was being a hero and he saved his sister. I know that, but he didn't have to be a hero. I miss him so much. I miss him every second of every day. It's not grief, it's absence, it's silence. Wanting to tell him something and I can't, or ask him questions because he's so wise and I can't. It's wanting him to be there to see Gracie run track, or to have him be with her, to give her advice, or just two arm hugs. Miss his two arm hugs. And then they just wiped him off the face of the earth like he meant nothing. Within an hour, he was just, Grant's not expendable. You know, the way I feel today about that, about him three years later, it will never change. I will carry it until I see him again one day. Grant was my best friend. He was my protector. And when he left to go be with God, I didn't really have that protection anymore. I didn't have the person who would always take me to go work out and we'd work out together. I didn't have that person to go sit in his room on the corner of his bed while he was playing video games and just talk with him. I wasn't able to have those hugs anymore. I lost every single thing about him and that was the hardest time and day of my life. I miss him so much every day. I lost a part of me that day, that morning when he died and it's like unthinkable that you see this happen all the time to other people but then it happened to you and I can't really put it into words how that, how losing him has made me feel and how it's affected me and how it will always affect me for the rest of my life. But he was just such a good person and he didn't deserve the way to go the way he did at all. That part hurts so much to think about too is how he left this earth and just the fact that I never get to speak to him for a very, very long time until I go to heaven really hurts. Ultimately, I just want my best friend back, but I will never wish that upon him because he's in such a good place now and he's not suffering anymore. I don't really know how to put my experience losing Grant into words, to be honest. Detrimental heartbreaking to say the least it was probably the most pivotal experience of my life and it's still extremely hard almost three years later no one should have to undergo losing a loved one who had so much more life to live especially in this case it just really makes you wake up and realize that someone that you love so deeply could be taken away from you in a blink of an eye we were with each other like the, the night before and we even fell asleep on FaceTime and I wake up to my dad telling me that Grant had been in an accident and at the point we didn't really we didn't know if he was okay or not and I check my phone and I don't have a single good morning text or anything like he 
usually sends me. And I knew he had an appointment early that morning in Gallatin, which was an hour away. So we were waiting to hear from Angie what hospital he was at. And in the midst of panic, I insisted that I took my own car even so that he could ride home with me. Because in that moment, you just don't, your mind just doesn't automatically go to the worst case scenario. When I arrive to the hospital, I see Angie and Gracie walking towards me and just complete utter shock. And I remember Angie just collapsing in my arms and saying, he's gone. So I go to the waiting room and I'm, I'm throwing chairs, I'm screaming, I'm crying. And um, I look over and I see his dad and just with no emotion on his face. And at the time, like, I didn't really think much about it in the midst of all the chaos. And I go to the hospital room and he was, he looked like he was asleep and he looked fine. And I was just praying to God that he would wake up and yeah, it, July 20th, 2020 forever changed my life. And my hope for participating in this video is to prevent another tragedy like this from happening. And because the law didn't seem to be on their side once again, Angie has tried to take matters into her own hands. Less than a month after Grant's death, she hired a private investigator. The PI has helped her gain access to what, if anything, was done to further look into Grant's death and the circumstances surrounding it. They were able to access the incident report, the police crash report, and the medical examination report, and some other things. And based on all the information gathered, Angie, Grace, and Grant's girlfriend, Hannah, and all their supporters now strongly believe that Grant did not die the way that Aaron said he did. And again, just days before he passed, Grant was telling people that he was afraid of his father. And whether you believe that this was no accident or maybe you just have questions and need more information to make a determination for yourself, I think we can all agree that Grant's death needs to be properly investigated. For as many inconsistencies as there are in Aaron's story and with the fact that the crime scene doesn't match any of these stories, there is no reason that the Gallatin Police Department should have closed this. Now, Aaron maintains his innocence despite this evidence, but like I keep saying, if you want to clear your name and remove all this doubt, clear the allegations, why not have this investigated? If what you said happened, why are you afraid of investigation. Since Grant's death, Angie Gracie and a team of friends and community members have come together in an attempt to get the justice that they deserve, not just for Grant's murder, but for Angie and Gracie as well. However, like I said before, Angie and Gracie continually are shot down at the legal level. In September of 2020, Gracie tried to get a restraining order against Aaron, but was denied. And according to her, Aaron even told Gracie that he was enforcing time with him, whether she wanted to or not. Also in October of 2020, Angie had a friend of hers file a motion in juvenile court on behalf of Gracie. And Angie wasn't able to do this herself because she was banned from filing motions against Aaron for six years. And this motion outlined everything that Gracie had experienced from the sexual abuse 
to the neglect. But even with a friend filing this, the court said that it lacked merit and shut the entire thing down. It is in their belief that Aaron is using his connections to sway people in his favor. And when I say people, I mean lawyers, judges, and even the governor of Tennessee, who Aaron supposedly sat next to in church all the time. Now, as for Grant's truck, there is more I can share. After Aaron refused for the truck to be examined, he let it sit in his driveway for a year before he eventually sold it to a scrapyard. And guess what else he did? He reported that the truck had been totaled and collected an insurance payout on it. But here's the thing. Angie was smart, and she ended up tracking down Grant's truck and purchasing it in April of 2021. And the car wasn't totaled. With the help of her PI, Angie was able to determine that Aaron had committed insurance fraud. Now, it has been said that this fraud could be looked into at the federal level. So if nothing else against Aaron sticks, then maybe this will. But let me go back to the truck because there was some interesting data there. And even though it had been over a year since everything happened, she still had a forensic analysis performed on it. And this is all wildly technical, especially for me. We all know I don't know much about cars. So I'm just going to summarize what the findings were. After two full examinations were performed on the truck, it was ultimately determined that there were no mechanical issues that would have caused the car to spontaneously roll backwards. There was literally nothing to suggest why Grant's truck would have backed over him, assuming he put the car in park when he got there. Now, Aaron has said that he must not have put his car in park. But here's the thing about that. The car was found in park when first responders arrived. So unless he got in there himself to put the car in park, this theory doesn't make sense. But even despite all of these findings, nothing has been done to determine if Grant actually died the way that Aaron said he did. And this means that Gracie is still at risk of ending up in Aaron's care, or at the very least, still being forced to spend time with him. And with that fear, she decided to go public with a video titled Gracie's Story, A Cry for Help, which is on YouTube, and you can watch it yourself. I will link it below. This video was the first time that she spoke publicly about the abuse that she endured at the hands of Aaron, and she shared how truly terrified of this man she is. And her bravery and courage is a huge part of the reason that I was able to find her family and work with them to tell their story. Now, unfortunately, this video received backlash from the court, and it resulted in Gracie being forced into DCS custody for about six months. All she wanted to do was to live with her mom, live without fear, get justice for her brother, and an order of protection against Aaron. But even after two years, she is still fighting that battle. Luckily, she is able to do that in her mother's custody, but she still has fear that Aaron is out there and could retaliate against them at any time. And that's where Freedom for Gracie comes in. Freedom for Gracie is a website and a movement created by friends, parents, teachers, and neighbors who are seeking justice for this family. The goal has been to raise awareness regarding the emotional, physical, and sexual abuse of Gracie, Grant, and Angie at the hands of Aaron Solomon. Just recently, it was shared on the Freedom for Gracie Instagram page that claims of sexual abuse against Aaron have been substantiated. A Tennessee children's case recording states that Gracie's case is being classified as abuse, substantiated, perpetrator, substantiated. 
the five-year span that Gracie and Grant were solely in Aaron's custody is the exact five-year span that the report said he was found to have sexually abused Gracie. Now, keep in mind, when Angie was trying to tell the courts that Gracie was in danger, they said her claims, quote, lacked merit. So my coverage of their story is not only to raise awareness about Grant's suspicious, very suspicious death, but also to share Gracie and Angie's story and get the justice that all three of them deserve. However, as you can imagine, as the social media effort has picked up and more and more people are hearing this family's story, there has been major backlash from Aaron. In March of 2022, he filed a defamation lawsuit against Angie, saying that what she is doing is a smear campaign on his reputation. He says the posts and videos about him are inaccurate, including the idea that he attempted to kill Angie before their divorce. He denies killing his son, denies molesting his daughter, denies being fired from his job, and much, much more. And obviously, it's because of this lawsuit and all of his connections to people in power that anyone covering this case, including myself, have to be extremely careful. And I consulted with a lawyer before I recorded this episode to make sure that my wording puts me in the best possible position to defend myself if I need to. I'm not going to lie, covering this case was a little scary for me, but I did not want that fear to stop me because this family needs help. They need justice. They need protection. And they need support from people like you. Angie and Gracie have expressed that they are still scared of what Aaron is capable of. And unless they have the resources to go after him from many angles, it's possible that this will never stop. I mentioned previously that a crime scene reconstruction must be performed that is absolutely crucial. Considering that Grant's wounds were not consistent with being dragged 60 plus feet down a concrete hill into a ditch, it should be a bare minimum that a reconstruction of events is performed. They also need to hire people outside of Nashville to look into this further and look into Aaron's story of what happened. Just like we saw with the Murdoch case, the good old boys club is a real thing. And that is going on in my opinion here. And the only way to tackle it is to bring in people from the outside who have no stake in the game to give this a second look. And in addition to investigating Grant's suspicious death, and coming after Aaron from that angle, Gracie has so bravely decided to take him to court on charges of sexual abuse. And I am so, so proud of her for doing that because it's not easy. It is scary. At just 16 years old, she has hired her own lawyer and is going after her own father, which is something that no 16-year-old should have to do. But I am damn proud of her for doing it. But this is where they need your help as an active true crime viewer to take steps to help them achieve their goals. And the main thing that they need here is money. Money is just what it takes to make this stuff happen. Angie and her lawyers have created a nonprofit called Grant's Army, and it's a tax-deductible organization where donations can be made to help them achieve justice and freedom. All donations made, big and small, to their GoFundMe will be filtered through this nonprofit and those resources will be used for lawyer fees, crime scene reconstruction efforts, and more. I mean, they are going up against a system where bad guys protect bad guys. That is the bottom line. They're gonna need to hire the best of the best to even attempt to take him down. And quite frankly, the more resources they have, the more people they are able to get involved and help them 
find justice. Now, like I said, if you are not in the position to donate, which I completely understand, there are other ways to help that are free. There are several social media pages that you can follow to keep up with their story and even a petition that needs signing. I'm going to have a link tree posted in the description of this video. And by clicking that link, you will be directed to a variety of ways that you can get involved. And I highly encourage you to do so. Some of these things will take you seconds. It includes a link to a petition asking for Grant's case to be reopened and investigated, a link to Angie's social media, a link to the GoFundMe, and more. Maybe there's someone out there that lives in the area in Tennessee and could possibly help Angie, or maybe someone even outside of the area. Who knows? Anyone who is able to help and can get in contact with Angie via social media is highly encouraged to do so. Also, the website Freedom for Gracie, and that's four as in the number four, is an excellent way that you can stay up to date on the story, and I highly recommend that you check it out. Now, lastly, it would be really beneficial to get the attention of Brian Enton, one of my, actually my favorite reporter over at News Nation. Brian, if you ever see this, I look up to you so much, and I know that you could help massively in this case. News Nation is one of the best networks out there, probably the best when it comes to covering cases that need attention that aren't getting the national coverage that they should be. Brian is known for his impartial coverage of extremely sensitive topics. So we need your help getting Brian's attention. So I have composed a tweet that you'll find in the description box that you can easily just copy paste into a tweet, tweet it out, write to Brian. And maybe the more of us do that, the better chance he will see it and this case can get additional national coverage. However, I do want to stress that the top priority here is donations and that GoFundMe is vitally important. So even if you're able to donate a dollar, it makes a difference. I would just like to say thank you for everyone. My concern right now is that we are getting the word out there and Kendall Ray is amazing for having us on so more people know about Grant. No one here in Tennessee is even acting like any of this uh, national attention is even going on. And so there, that's left me. There's no doubt that I'll have to do an independent, I'm sorry, an independent investigation, an independent out, outside of Tennessee investigation, exhumation and autopsy myself and an accident reconstruction. And that is why we set up the GoFundMe so that donations would help me do that. I am a pharmacist, but I do have Gracie to raise. Thank God, she's home and I do raise her on my own with no child support. And I just, nor do I want it. We don't want it. We want to say we did it ourselves, but I put every penny I can into Grant. It's fun. I know that I cannot make enough fast enough to pull off every element of an exhumation, autopsy, independent investigation, and an accident reconstruction. And there'll also, I'm sure, be legal battle for exhumation. So that is exactly what the donations are used for and the only thing. And I just want to also say that I did set it up into a foundation. It's the Love Like Grant Foundation, which one day will be used for his uh, legacy and probably has something to do with baseball but also set up a DBA as Grant's Army. And that's what this money all goes into Grant's Army's fund. Um, it is a 5013C, and if someone would prefer not to donate uh, through the GoFundMe, they can also send checks 
in any amount um, and have those be uh, tax deductible. We really need your help. No one here is gonna help. I need your help. Hannah needs your help. Grace needs your help. But most of all, Grant needs your help. And then I promise I'll make sure all those things are done. And we'll find justice for him. Right now, I just wanna say that it's not easy going through all of this and still trying to fight this every day. And I just wish that justice would come faster because it's very much deserved in my family, for my mom and my brother and myself. I just want justice for my family and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to make that happen. It's so beautiful seeing other people support and continue to support us when all we've gone through is just so much negativity and ultimately just like abuse in many different ways. And it's nice to see people having your back and loving on me and my brother and my mom who were never really fully loved to the point that we like deserved and i hope that soon there will be justice for myself and my brother and my mom and that that whole the church the school my father most importantly his family my mom's family everyone that has been against us will no longer have the opportunity or ways to fight us and they deserve to go down and they deserve to never be able to speak about us or fight against us ever again. I just want to feel peace because I've never felt peace and that I will never be able to feel peace unless he's gone, my, my dad's gone. I can say that confidently and I just want justice for my family. I know this video is long. I know this was a lot of information to go through. So for those of you who made it to the end, I sincerely want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this family's story. Angie and Gracie are still facing an uphill battle, and they want justice for Grant, who so deserves justice. I know that my audience can help make a difference in their lives. I've seen you guys do it before. I've seen how fired up we can get and get loud and really stand up for people that have been abused and abused by the system as well. I deeply believe that freedom and justice is on the horizon for them. And I really think we can help them to get there. That is gonna be it for me today, guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode. And make sure you follow the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really does help me out. If you wanna watch the video version of this show, you can find it on my YouTube channel, which will be linked, or you can just search Kendall Ray. I will be back with another episode soon, but until then, stay safe out there.